the name of Jesus, amen. <clears throat> Dear saints, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And this is what St. Paul says in the epistle lesson. And many rip the words out of context and say something like, ah, you see, uh, the, the letter is the Bible and that is a dead word. But the real thing is the spirit and the direct revelation or experience that I'm feeling. But that's not it. Others will say, well, it means that the literal sense of the Bible is dead and it doesn't help us. But the spiritual sense of the Bible is the thing that gives life. As if the history and the facts of it don't matter, only the idea. And that's not it either. There are all sorts of misunderstanding. But the truth is this, that when the Bible says the letter kills, but the spirit gives life, it's talking about nothing other than the law and the gospel. The letter is the law and the spirit is the gospel. Now, if you're not a Lutheran, long gospel might be new to you. And if you are a Lutheran, then you should know this very, very well. Uh, But whatever the case, you have to pay close attention and don't pass it off or yawn it, uh, yawn at it or, or anything. The law and the gospel, it isn't just a concept that Lutherans invented and they impose onto the scriptures. It is from the Bible. And it's not a paradigm or something we've, we've created. Law and gospel is the very substance of the scriptures. It's in, of all the scriptures, of both the Old and the New Testament. So you can't think that the Old Testament is just the law and the New Testament is the gospel. Rather, it is the law and the gospel in the Old Testament and the law and the gospel in the New Testament. And unless you know this distinction, unless you know the difference between the law and the gospel, the Bible remains a closed book to you. It's a closed book. You will not understand what it's saying. So what is it? So to start with, uh, St. Paul calls the law in verse 7. He calls it the ministry of death. And then he says that it was carved in letters on stone. And that it came with such glory that the Israelites couldn't gaze at Moses' face because of its glory. That is nothing other than the Ten Commandments. That's the law. Uh, so the law is what God demands of us. He, and what he demands is perfect obedience, perfect thoughts, perfect words, perfect deeds, perfect desires, perfect affections. And it's not just good behavior, but a good attitude, a good heart, a pure heart. So when the Bible says and tells you what you should do, namely go to church, honor authorities, Don't be angry, don't be lazy, don't steal, don't lie or covet or commit adultery and so on. All of those things belong to the law. That is the letter. They're all good things. Uh, A world without anger and disrespect and a world without murder and a world without broken marriages and families, a world without lying would be the place we want to live, right? So God isn't commanding anything bad here. He's just commanding the good things. God is only asking for good in the law. Now, if that is the case, then why does Paul say and call it the ministry of death? And this is because the law, the promises of the law are conditional. In other words, the law is only good to you if you are good to it. But it is a terror, a ministry of death to those who sin, to those who are guilty. The law doesn't just tell you to keep the law. It threatens those who don't. And it threatens them with death. Galatians chapter 3 says, Cursed 
be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Romans 4.15 says the law brings wrath. Even the smallest deviation from the law will not be tolerated. The, The law demands perfect people. And then what it does is it puts sinners to death. That is just. That's the right thing to do. So when you hear the Bible say that you deserve temporal and eternal death, that is the law. That is the ministry of death that is preaching condemnation. And on the other hand, the gospel is something different. Paul calls this the ministry of righteousness. And this doesn't kill, but it gives life. In verse 17, Paul says, the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from the death that you deserved under the law. Uh, So the law is what you must do for God and what we fail to do, what we should do and what we shouldn't do. But the gospel is what God has done for you. Luther put it this way in the Heidelberg Disputation. He says, the law says do this and it is never done. But the gospel says believe in this and everything is already done. So if you want to find the gospel, you look nowhere else but to the cross of Christ. God dying for you, taking away your sins through his blood. The law brings terror and anger and condemnation. But the spirit, the gospel gives you peace and salvation. So this is what the Bible is made up of. You have to know this is just the basic definition of the law and the gospel. The letter and the spirit is the substance of the scriptures, the threats of God and the promises of God, the law and the gospel. When you open up your Bible, you're going to find the seeming contradiction when you read it. You're going to read some parts of the Bible that say the most terrifying things that you've ever heard. And then you'll open up the Bible and you'll read other parts that say the most beautiful things you've ever heard. And that is what's going on. It is the law and the gospel. And unless you can distinguish them from each other, and unless you learn how they're both from God and they cause your salvation, then you'll never understand truly what the Bible is about. So that's what this sermon is about. It's about the law and the gospel. And this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3. But here's uh, here's the caveat here. He doesn't just say that there is the law and the gospel, the letter and the spirit. But he tells us how they relate to one another. And this is very, very important. Verse uh, 10 and 11 says this. If there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all. Because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. So what does that mean? He says there are two things. There's the law and the gospel. Both are glorious, but one is more glorious than the other. One outshines the other and one and the other is overshadowed. And the greater and more glorious word is that of the gospel. You will hear Lutherans uh, throw around this idiom, a cliche that goes something like this. The gospel ought always predominate. And that's true. Uh, This is where it comes from, from 2 Corinthians 3. This is why no matter how much you'll hear the law preached from this pulpit, not one day is going to go by where you will not also hear the gospel. 
that the gospel is the most glorious of all the doctrines and it predominates the law. It surpasses it. <clears throat> so uh, what does this mean? Does, the, does this mean that the law is gone? No. Uh, then what's the point? Why have both the law and the gospel? How do they work together if they contradict each other? Well, God uses them to cause your salvation. And the way he does that is by sending the law to kill you. When the law is preached, it kills the thoughts and ideas of you ever being able to save yourself. In other words, it crushes your heart and your dreams. It crushes any hope, any shred of hope you have in earning your way to heaven and being a good enough person. That is the work of the law. And, and when it does this, the law drives you to despair, but to despair of yourself. And the gospel tells you and teaches you the hope in Christ who raises the dead with his words. And we need both the law and the gospel. In fact, you cannot be saved without both. If you didn't know the law, you wouldn't even listen to or care about the gospel. The law shows you simply how much you need Jesus. And the gospel gives you the Jesus you need. But the people who reject Jesus in this world, the people who reject him, are, are always the ones who don't know they need him. It, it's like medicine. <clears throat> you only take medicine when you know you're sick. And that is what the law does, is it proclaims that you have a mortal disease that nobody can cure. And the gospel is the medicine, the remedy, and the solution for it. So if you refuse to call yourself a sinner, then be prepared to refuse Christ as your savior. Because Christ is only for sinners. All right, with this being said, my job as a pastor, as a preacher of the word, is to tell you these things. God called me through you guys, through this congregation, to be your pastor. And now I have the responsibility to publicly preach the letter of the law. And I do this on a weekly and a regular and even a daily basis in the church, in the home, on the phone, whatever it may be, I need to proclaim the law and I have to give a diagnosis to people that nobody wants to hear. And that means that I have to point out your sin when you sin. I have to look you in the eye and say, this is wrong. What you're doing is a sin. It's not like I'm saying, well, look, this is just bad timing or bad etiquette or just something that I personally don't like, something that I disapprove of. No, when I say this is a sin, I am preaching to you the law and saying what you've done offends God. It offends God Almighty, who hates sin. And God's word says that what you are doing, the thing that, this you're, that you're guilty of, that is sin. God doesn't just condemn sin in general. He condemns even specific sins. And as a servant of the word, I must also. And that means that I have to tell you the hard and difficult words that your divorce was wrong, that your addiction is wrong, that your living together before marriage is wrong, that the way you treat your husband is wrong. The way you treat your, your wife is wrong. What you've taught your children is wrong. How you spoke to your neighbor is wrong. The way you talk about 
somebody else in this way is wrong. They are wrong and they are sins which you need to repent of. And as much as I don't like doing it and as much as you don't like hearing it, this is what God instituted. The law, the ministry of death that cuts you to the heart and it kills now, the preaching of the law is serious. <clears throat> it cuts to the heart. And I know it because not only because I myself feel it and I'm flesh and blood too, but because I've seen how it affects other people. I have sat down with people in my office and opened the Bible and read the word of God and have seen people literally get up and storm out because they could not bear to hear it. I've seen people get up and leave in the middle of a Bible study or in the middle of a service even, while preaching the law because I called sin, sin. Oftentimes I'll get an email or a phone call later saying how judgmental or unloving or terrible the preaching was, uh, even though they didn't stay to hear the whole thing. <clears throat> and I want to be clear. Uh, I, I want to be clear here. It's not like I stood in the pulpit and said, uh, nobody's sitting there, so there, you. <laughs> You're guilty of this specific sin or something like this, right? That's not what's going on. It's simply that I preached what God's word says about sin publicly to all people and that the person guilty of that sin could not bear it. Uh, They they get offended and leave. Look, I'll I'll explain it another way. Uh, There's an idiom that goes, the dog that yelps got hit. Okay, do you know what this means? Uh, The image is that there's a pack of dogs there. And you're not aiming for any one of those dogs in particular, but you just take a stone and you just toss it in the group. And then the dog that yelps is the one that got hit. The same goes for the law. When a pastor preaches against gossip, for example, do you know who the people are that don't like it? The ones guilty of it. And when he preaches against pornography and adultery, do you know who gets hit? The ones guilty of it. When he preaches against husbands being harsh with their wives, or people skipping church, or not doing devotions at home, about complaining often and grumbling, or wasting money on stuff you don't need, or being greedy and so on. Do you know who, who's affected by those words? It is the ones guilty of it. I'm willing to bet that within the past year, maybe this week alone, you felt the sting of the law. You've been hit by it. Maybe it's from your own heart or from one of these sermons that you feel guilty and bad. And it could be that you feel distant from God. It could be that your prayers are dull and dry. It could be that you're frustrated and bored with church and the Bible. It could be that. It could be that you're exhausted of working on your marriage. It could be that you're angry and bitter and numb. Whenever these things happen, what's happening in that moment, that, what's going on, it means that you're being struck by the law because deep down inside you know that your prayers should be better. Right? You know that you should be in church and not on your bed or at the theme park or wherever. You know that deep down inside, uh, you should be happy to be in church and more patient with others and more forgiving. 
and more content with everything God gives you. He, you know that you should not be complaining so much, right? And when you're not, that is when you feel the guilt. If you're paying attention when you come to church, that means that you should be getting hit by the law at least several times a month. And for some, it may be several times a sermon, maybe several times a Sunday, that you hear the word of the law hitting you. And it's because you're not guilty of just one sin, but many. And I am too. And I know how much it hurts to bear it and how humiliating it is to confess it. But whenever a sinner is in these crossroads, there's only one of two things you do. The first thing is this. You, I, you, you stop listening. That's the, that's the first way to cope. You stop listening. You get up. You get angry. You walk out. You stay away from the church. You try to resolve it on your own. You find a way to drown and deafen your conscience that is constantly testifying against you. That is one way. And those who do this will lose the faith. Make no mistake about it. The other way is this. You stay. And you don't leave. And you keep listening. And this, dear saints, is you. That God has opened your ears and caused you to keep listening even now. That you never give up listening to the word even when it is hurting you and stinging you and cutting you deeply. Resist the temptation to close your ears. You endure the preaching of the law because you know that that is not the end. You know it's not the final word, don't you? You would have all walked out if you knew something better was not coming, if, the, if it was going to stay on the law and stay in your condemnation. I wouldn't even be here. But we know we endure that. Why? Because we know something greater is coming to surpass it. The law may have the first word, but Jesus has the last word. You keep on listening because no matter how great the demands of the law are, God sends you his gospel that is far more glorious. That when the law has done its work to convince you that you indeed are a sinner, that you do deserve temporal death and eternal damnation, when it has convinced you of this, that is the worst time to get up and walk out because it's at that moment when Jesus comes to save you, when he comes with his gospel. This is what verse 11 says. What once had glory, the law, has come to have no glory at all, because of the glory that is the gospel that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to fulfillment, the law, came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. In other words, after you hear the harsh, stern, unbending letter of the law, the Holy Spirit comes and gives you life. And he fills your heart with the sweetest, most beautiful words, your broken heart will ever hear that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5. Psalm 32. I acknowledged my sin to you, O Lord, and did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what did he do? And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Isaiah 43 says, I, yes, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers them no more. And again, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed 
our transgressions from us. Those specific sins that you're guilty of, the ones that you felt bad when I was talking against them, those are forgiven. Jesus died and bled for those, and they're gone. So keep hearing the word, saints. Stay until the end and stay to hear everything God says. You know that the same God who calls out your sin and condemns your sin is the same God who died on the cross to save you from them. No matter how great your sin is, Jesus is far greater and he forgives every single one of your sins even now with his holy and precious blood as in a few minutes he will tell you to take and eat. This is my body and my blood given for you for the forgiveness of your sins. May God keep giving you his great and glorious word and may he give you the strength to endure it. May he give you the ears to keep on hearing it and to despair of yourself and to trust only in him for salvation. Amen. Hear the words of the hymn, Salvation Unto Us Has Come. It says, The law reveals the guilt of sin and makes men conscience stricken. The gospel then doth enter in, the sinful soul to quicken. Come to the cross, trust Christ and live. The law no peace can ever give, no comfort and no blessing. Faith clings to Jesus' cross alone and rests in him unceasing. And by its fruits, true faith is known with love and hope increasing. Yet faith alone does justify, works serve the neighbor and supply the proof that faith is living. May glory, laud, and highest praise for this our God's salvation to Father, Spirit, Son be raised, who will bring it to completion. The work he hath in us begun, that glory may for him be won. For this his name be hallowed. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.